Would you bow your heads, please, for a moment? Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you. And then use us, we pray, O God, as you will, always to your glory and for the welfare of your people. This we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. may be seated. Good morning. (laughs) Great to be with you all. It's been a wonderful, wonderful morning. And I look forward to uh, the confirmations, receptions, and reaffirmations for this 11-15 hour. Um, It's great to be here representing your bishop, uh, Bishop Wright, who sends to you his greetings. Uh, When we were listening, or when I was listening to that uh, epistle of Peter, there's one line in there that describes you all very well. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. What a wonderful sentence to describe all saints in Atlanta. We've been praying for you as you've gone through your process of the search for a new rector. And as I always used to tell uh, search committees in the parishes that I had the privilege of overseeing is, as, as we started it, God has already selected who your rector will be. And what you have to do as a parish is pray yourself into that same decision that God has already made. So I salute your search committee and all the hard work that has gone on, and it looks like it won't be very long until you welcome a new rector into this parish. One of the things, though, that I want to say is how much um, Martha has brought to this parish in her position as the interim. You could not find someone with greater gifts than she has brought to this place to be with you to provide to provide the necessary leadership through this interim period. And I want you all to express to her your thanks for a job tremendously done uh, as the interim here at All Saints. So I want you to give her that. She told me during the service, please don't do that again. (laughs) You know, bishops don't always do what everyone tells them to. But but anyway, my uh, 
appreciation on behalf of Bishop Wright to Martha and uh, for the wonderful leadership that uh, she has provided all saints. We gather, as I said a moment ago, to do confirmations and receptions. One of the things about the, this whole process that I always remind people is this. You are the ministers of the gospel. You are the ministers of the gospel. Not just people with round collars that have been set aside for special kind of roles within a church, but you are the ones that need to go out of this place into this world to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior and how that has impacted you and the way you live. In this particular gospel tonight, or today, um, Jesus, on the night before he was, was killed, spent a long time, according to John, preparing his disciples for life without his physical presence. And they had a huge responsibility. They were called to continue his ministry. And John and Jesus knew that kind of reality. And so what John did the night before he was killed, rather than what the other writers did, was concentrate on the teaching of Jesus. The discourse is what it's called. And it runs from about the 13th chapter through the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. That's a long time and a lot of words and a lot of message that Jesus was attempting to give to his disciples there and you, his disciples. And so I want to spend a little bit of time on an with emphasis on one particular verse of the discourse in the 14th chapter that was read as our gospel for this morning. And that was Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You ever thought about those words? In our day, where it is so important to be politically correct, that kind of statement wouldn't fly well because we would feel like it was being exclusive, that we were eliminating some people. But that wasn't John's intent. You remember when we look at this gospel, I'll read the gospel, we do it from more than 2,000 years of life in the world of Christians. When Jesus taught this, they couldn't see the ramifications that were going to happen. And so it, it, you know, it would not been, have been interpreted as an exclusive kind of statement. But let me say this. 
The noted German scholar Rudolf Schnackenberg maintained that John 14.6 comprised the high point of John's theology. Not only is this so because of the verse setting in the final discourse, but also because this statement contains that monumental, definitive assertion of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because of the distinctiveness of Christian identity lies at the very heart of this teaching. This is what constitutes, I think, the core claim of a Jesus follower from other followers of other ways and other truths and other promises of life. I want you to remember, though, that at the time John wrote these words or this gospel, he could have cared less about one-upping anybody, a Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or even the Jews, by including these words in the fourth gospel. Why? Because first, he never knew a Buddhist or a Hindu. And secondly, his little bond, uh, band of followers 12 or 11 at this point, had no power or no preeminence in society whatsoever. So how were they going to lord it over anybody in their uh, with their ecclesiastical clout, which wasn't very much? John, therefore, is not providing a proof text for triumphalism, nor is he implying that only Christians are loved by God, nor is he claiming that people of other faiths are not only wrong but condemned. No, here John is proclaiming a blessing, not providing a bludgeon. And it is a glorious, spine-tingling affirmation. John is saying this as he writes with the words Jesus said to his disciples and to us. Jesus, declaring Jesus as the way, trusting Jesus as the truth, and experiencing Jesus as the life of the Spirit. The believer comes to a knowledge of God in a holy, new, and unprecedented manner. They come to God through Jesus as Abba God. That is, the believer comes into a relationship assuming a preposterous familiarity and intimacy and confidence, a kind of relationship 
that a toddler has for a parent, and no other religion claims that. That's what John was after in making this statement of Jesus. Nobody can claim except through Jesus of a particular relationship with God as an Abba relationship. Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed, none said this, and neither did Moses. The point is John is contending that through this Jesus, humanity's relationship to God and God's humanity are uniquely and decisively revealed in a different kind of way. The Abba experience lies at the heart of our gospel. While many roads might lead to God, only one road leads to God as Abba. That road, that way, that life, that truth is only through Jesus in his incarnation. No one else comes even close. The Abba experience through Jesus is the ultimate blessing. That's what's at the heart of the ministry that you are called to preach. It is never a, a, a religious bludgeon. At the end, the gospel says, we are saved by grace and not by any works righteousness or believer's righteousness that we think we have to parade before God in order for God to accept us. Listen to the story of humility, and it makes a point for us to think about. The Habsburg emperor, by custom, is entombed in a Capuchin monastery in Vienna. When Emperor Franz Joseph died, his cortege makes its way through the streets to the monastery, and the herald leading it gets to the gate and knocks at the gate. From inside, the abbot calls and says, Who are you? And who knocks? I am Fran Joseph, Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, the herald replied. The abbot from within responds, I don't know you. Who are you? Again, the herald, I am Fran Joseph, Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, of Bohemia, of Galicia, of Dalmatia, Grand Duke of Transylvania, Margrave of Morania. The abbot replies from within, We still don't know you. Who are you? 
The herald looked puzzled. But then, in a moment, he knelt down and said, I am Fran Joseph, a poor sinner, humbly begging for God's mercy. The abbot then said, Thou mayest enter, and the gates flung open. So to all of us, all of us here, on this journey of faith that we are all on, to know Jesus is to know Abba, his Father, The two are never separated. We, his disciples, will not be separated from him because of our baptisms. And so, as ministers of his gospel, all of you, you will not be separated from him And so you will be empowered by his spirit to do what he calls each of you as a minister of the gospel to do. Never say, I can't do it because his spirit is there in you, guiding you into the ministry that you are called to. And so I think this could not be more fitting than to be read at a confirmation when we as a church pray for God's special blessing and empowerment on people to go forth from here as ministers of his gospel. Amen.